Nelson Mandela said this in his autobiography, Long Walk to Freedom, and that quote is on the screen. And it says, uh, he shares this in his book, says that no one is born hating another person because of the color of, the, of his or her skin or his or her background or his or her religion. People must learn to hate. And if they can learn to hate, they can be taught to love. For love comes more naturally to the humans, human heart than its opposite. When you look around, we see hatred everywhere. We see injustice and discrimination all around us. So what is going on here, and what are we to do about this? Uh, we talked about some of this issue last week, and this continuing on, um, this, this what's going on, this protesting with what is happening around the world, I wanted to focus a little bit more about this and maybe turn our attention into what we can do and what the Bible says about this uh, so that my, uh, so I prepared my sermon, and, and its title is called To Preach the Gospel to the Poor. To Preach the Gospel to the Poor. <clears throat> we were all created equal. Do you believe that? We're all created equal in God's image. And we came from one family. Even though it's hard to believe, we all came from the same family. We, we are supposed to resemble each other, and we do resemble each other, even though we do look a little bit different in our skin color, we may speak different languages, uh, but we do come from the same family. And we came from the same family to love and to care. But what happened was that when sin entered this world, that segregation started to happen, and that hatred started to grow, and that's where it all started. We learned to hate. We were tempted to discriminate others. And we need to go back to where we came from as one family, as we love one another and care for one another. That's what needs to happen. So let's pause and think about this for a minute. Adam was created in God's image, and we all were created in equal, and we all see Adam as our father, as, as our ancestor, and, and down to Noah and so on. But when God created Adam in his image, and Adam, we all come from Adam, and now we are here discriminating and, and social injustice everywhere that we see, um, does that mean there was something wrong with Adam when he was created? Was there any fault when he was created in God's image? What was, was there something wrong with the copy that he made, that he was made into? No. The Bible says God is perfect in Matthew 5, 20, 48. And when Adam was created in God's image, he was also created in perfect image, like, like he was uh, copying God. But then what happened? And how long, I want to focus on, how long did it take for Adam from his perfect image of God to become a faulty, sinful man? How long it took and what, what happened. So, that's interesting. Follow me. Um, it says, Genesis 3.6 says, She, Eve, also gave some to her husband, Adam, who was with her, and he ate it. We all know the story, how 
Eve gave the fruit, forbidden fruit to Adam, and he took it and he ate it, right? So we know that story. Uh, did Adam know what was going to happen? So Eve was tempted, and she ate the fruit, right? She was tempted by, by the snake, Satan, and he, she ate the fruit. And she took the fruit to Adam, and she gave to him to eat. When he took the fruit, what was going on in his head? Why did he eat that fruit? Because like, oh, she give, she's giving it to me. It must be good. Did he eat that without knowing? No. He had the full knowledge of what this fruit is that she's holding in her hand. And he knew exactly the consequences of eating that fruit. And he knew, he knew exactly what she did and what's going to happen to her. And what will happen to him if he takes the fruit from her hand and bites it? He knew exactly what was going to happen. But then why did he do it? Here, this, this is interesting. Uh, <clears throat> Patriarchs and Prophet, page 56, paragraph 2. Uh, the quote is on the screen. It says, She was a part of himself, and he could not endure the thought of separation. He resolved to share her fate. If she must die, he would die with her. He decided to brave the consequences. He seized the fruit and quickly ate. So, did he make the decision intentionally, or was it just something that he just stumbled into? He made a very intentional decision to share his fate with her and die with her. If she must die, I'm going to die with her. You know, <clears throat> when Adam was created in God's image, he was created to be, to be love. He, he, he's, he's love because God is love, right? Adam is love because God is love. And he was created to love, to care. That's exactly what he did. He cared to die for her, with her, basically. That's what the heart that Adam had. But let's think about this. When Adam ate the fruit, how long did it take to abandon the heart of love and to do something completely opposite of what he had just done? If you read on just a few verses down... What does the Bible say? In verse 11, God asks, God comes and visits Adam and Eve and, and looking for them because they were hiding with the, like the fig skirt right, they made, right? It says, Have you eaten from the tree which I commanded you not to eat? In verse 12, Genesis 3, it says, And the man answered, The woman whom you gave me, she gave me the fruit from the tree and I ate it. So what is he doing? He's blaming her. Two seconds ago, what was Adam doing? Honey, I love you so much. If you must die, I cannot see you die. I'm going to die with you. I'm going to share my faith with you. I cannot, this world without you is nothing. I have to die with you. And he ate it. It says he took it and he ate it quickly. And two seconds later, he says like, she, she did it. <laughs> so we are laughing at it. But you know what happened in between those two verses? 
Adam, who was perfectly created in God's image, perfect love, now is blaming Eve and Eve blaming the serpent, right? And <clears throat> what happened in between the two is just sin. Just sin. That's what happened. There's nothing else. Adam still looks grand, majestic, beautiful, perfect image of God. He still looks like that. Has, he still bears the image of God in, in his countenance. But in his heart, <clears throat> sin entered. And as soon as sin entered in his heart, bam, his character completely changed from someone who cared to give his life to die for his lover, his wife, Eve, and now is <clears throat> saying that, no, I don't want to die with her. It's her blaming her for what he had done. And that's what sin does. It took only a few seconds. I mean, literally, it was a matter of, I would say, within an hour, or maybe just a couple hours. That's how the person changed. I'm like, so when you think about it, <clears throat> how fast does sin affect people? <clears throat> how evil can it be? How dangerous it could get? We don't know the consequences of sin until it happens. And that effect is so deep, so dangerous, so different than what it is. So if we think that we are <clears throat> Christians, excuse me, if we think that we are okay, then it's just, I mean, we need to really think about how sin affects people. Because it's so quick, so fast, so life-changing. You can't imagine. That's exactly what happened to Adam. And if you go on to, to study the story of Cain, Genesis 4, 8 through 10, it says, Now Cain said to his brother Abel, Let's go out to the field. Thank you. To the field. While they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? The Lord said, What have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out from me, uh, cries out to me from the ground. We know the story of what happened to Cain and Abel. So Cain killed Abel out in the field. So Cain is the first human being that was born to this humanity, first ever uh, child, son. When Adam and Eve experienced the miracle of birth, can you imagine the joy they had? Even though they were, they were affected by sin and they were cast out from the Garden of Eden, they still had this beauty around surrounding them. They still had this, this amazing miracles that, that God has given them, and they were still experiencing God's protection and His blessings in His life. Uh, compared to you and I, you and me, our faces and our character and our, our physical strength and abilities and, and intellect, Adam must have been so much better in, in every way, in every possible way. And when you think about Cain, the firstborn son into humanity, just can you just imagine how beautiful he might have looked? That beautiful child. When Eve gave birth, it would have been just amazing. And when he grows up, 
the, the expectations they had, Adam and Eve had for, for the son. And do you know what Eve's expectation for Adam was when he was born? Yes. That is found in uh, Genesis 4, verse 1. If you read, that's what the Bible says. Uh, Genesis 4, 1, it says, She said, I have gotten a man by the Lord or by Jehovah. That's what the literal translation means. Well, another word, it means, I have made a man the Lord. That's what the literal translation means. I have made a man, or another word, the Lord. Man of God, that's what it means. So, Eve is basically saying, you know, you have promised, given me promise in Genesis 3.15, says, I'll put enmity between you and, and your, your, your descendants, and you will crush, he will crush your head, and you will crush his, he will bruise your heel. You know that, that Bible verse talking about the coming Messiah? When Eve heard that message, she said, okay, somebody is coming to save us from this predicament, from this, this, this fate. And when she gave birth to Cain, she is saying that, repeating that promise. Now God has given me the man God, and he's going to deliver us. That's what she said. And the State Bible Commentary says the same thing. And Ellen White repeats, confirms the same thing. When Eve gave birth, she's completely believing, trusting that this man will deliver us from our sin. And this man, who was hoped to be the Messiah, turns to be the first murderer. How long did it take? Just one generation. Only one generation later, this man, who was supposed to be, who was thought to be the Messiah, the firstborn man of this humanity, becomes the first murderer. And what was the reason? Because Abel came and stole his property, his house? Stole his wife? He cheated? No. He didn't do anything wrong. Abel just went and obeyed God and gave sacrifice to God. And Cain and gave his sacrifice according to his own interpretation to God, bloodless sacrifice. He gave his heart, portion of his heart. You know what? I think God would like this. But he didn't obey what was, what was said to him. He didn't obey what was told. And he said, you know what? I think this is better than what God said because this is my, the, the labor of my fruit. And he gave the, the, the fruit of his labor from the field. And Abel gave the sacrifice, representing the antitype of the Christ that will be coming giving his blood, his life, to save humanity. And Abel's sacrifice was accepted, whereas in Cable's, Cain's sacrifice is not. And his anger rose. And he had hatred toward his brother. Think about it. I mean, how many people there are around, on the face of the earth? Adam, Eve, Cain, Abel. Now we do know that there are a couple other people, like the, the woman that, that married Cain later on. There are some other people, but it's not like thousands and millions of people that are around the world. 
It's only a handful of the family members. You know them because you are siblings. You know them really well because you grew up together, you played together. It's like you ate together. That's what you did all, all your life. It's your brother, your blood brother, sister. And Cain goes to Abel and kills him on the field. It's not like you push a button and kills. It's not like you have a gun and you shoot him from a distance without, like, it's close distance. It's something that you do with your hand, like somebody choking on someone's neck. Something like, like, uh, something that you do violently, violently to kill someone, to take someone's life forcefully. That's what Cain did. How long did it take? From the moment of his birth or his creation, from God's creation to the first murder, it only took one generation. It didn't take thousands and thousands of years. It only took a short time. So that's what sin does. When we look around and say, you know what, this world is so violent, so, so unspeakable, this injustice, people breaking things and burning things up and just not caring for other people. Like how, how in the world we came to this place so, so far and what happened? You know what? Sin happened. When sin happens, it doesn't take that much time. It only takes few minutes, few hours for Adam and Eve. It only took one generation for a man who thought to be the first savior, to be the first murderer, to kill his own brother, younger brother. It only took few years. That's what happened. That's what sin does to us. When we hold on to sin, my friends, whether we look like perfect Christians or not, whether we look like perfect elders and deacons and people who are helping in God's ministry in church, it doesn't matter whether we look like perfect pastor or a perfect conference leader or whoever that may be or a perfect singer doing singing for God, or someone who is helping behind the scene, whatever that may be, if we do not hate the sin, if we do not ask Jesus to help us with the sin problem, the, the issue is whether that happens now or later, we are affected by sin. And that result of sin, hating others, or even to the point killing others, will happen if we do not do something about the sin. That happened to Adam. That happened to Cain. That can happen to you and me any moment. We don't have to blame other people, other police officers, or other people discriminating others or hating other people. If we have sin, we have the same problem in us. And, and Cain said this, am I my brother's keeper? And basically he was saying, no, I, I'm not responsible for what, what I have done. That's what he's saying. But let me ask you a question. Are we our brother's keepers? Yes, we are our brother's keepers. That's why what God was asking, where's your brother? <laughs> he wasn't like, he didn't know where Abel, Abel was. He knew exactly what he had done, what Cain has done. And he's asking what have you done to your brother that you're supposed to protect and keep? That's what the question God was asking. So when, when God asks us the question, where is your brother? He's asking us, 
What are we doing to protect our brothers? He's asking that question. Martin Luther King Jr. said this, and, and I'd, I'd like to share these quotes with you on the screen. He says, There comes a time when silence is betrayal. Silence is betrayal. And another quote, Martin Luther King says this, In the end, we will remember not the words of our enemies, but the silence of our friends. So there are are times where we have to speak up, where we have to do something about it. If we are silent, if we don't do anything about it, then that's what is remembered in the end. And that silence is the same as betrayal. What are we doing? What are we to do? What did Jesus do? And come with me to Luke chapter 4, verse 16 through 21. It says, Jesus goes into Nazareth, his hometown, and he goes to the synagogue and reads the passage, and it says to, this, to his village men, his like, next-door neighbors, his, basically his, his people that he grew up with, his friends' parents, basically. He says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, and it reads from uh, Isaiah 61 in Luke chapter 4. It says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, and he has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captivities, captives, and, uh, and, recover, and recovery of signs to the blind, to, um, to set the liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable ear of the Lord. So we know the story of what he does. He goes back to his hometown, Nazareth, and he goes to the synagogue on Sabbath, and he preaches, and he's given a scroll, and he goes to the scroll, the, the section in Isaiah 61, and he reads this and says, to preach the gospel to the who? Poor. And to, to proclaim the message to the brokenhearted. That's what he reads. And he says, this message is... Is, is fulfilled in your ears. And what happens? People get angry, and they want to push him off the cliff. I've been to that cliff uh, in, in, in Jerusalem. It's, it's really funny. Uh, it's, yeah. But basically, they all came and pushed him to the, through the cliff, and they wanted to push him off to kill him, but he just walks past them and it just goes away. Um, but the key point is that I want to share today is this. To preach the gospel to the poor. What does that mean, preaching the gospel to the poor? The word poor in, in Hebrew, um, in, in Isaiah, is this. The word is anav. anav. The, the, the translation of the word anav in Hebrew could mean poor, humble, or afflicted, or meek. So here it translates as Preach the gospel to the poor, but it could mean to preach the gospel to the afflicted and to the brokenhearted. So I think afflicted may be a better translation. And that means, the word afflicted means of a problem, feeling pain or suffering or affected or troubled. So when Jesus came, and if you read the context, Luke 4 
it takes place right after he comes out of the wilderness after 40 days of fasting and being tempted. He comes out and he starts preaching. And first official story that we hear is this story. He goes back to his hometown and he, he preaches this. So basically the first preaching that the Bible records of him starting his public ministry is this. It says, I am called to preach the gospel to the poor or afflicted and to the brokenhearted. And that is what he came to do. That is his mission. And, and think about this. Messiah has come to preach the gospel to the afflicted. Who is afflicted today? Who is brokenhearted today? And if Jesus were to come here and start his public ministry who do you think he will go to first? He says, I've come here to preach the gospel, gospel meaning good news, to the poor, the afflicted, the ones who is troubled, the one who is affected, the one who is humble, the one who has, cannot defend themselves, the one who is oppressed, those are the groups of people that you just go and preach first. His gospel, his deliverance, his salvation. That's what he would do. That's the first message that he gave. And that's the first group that he went to, he wants to go to. So people, as people bearing God's message, as the ambassadors of God's final message, who are we to preach to? What are we to do? Should we go to the poor and the afflicted and the brokenhearted? Yes. We need to go to the black community, go to the colored community, go to the people who are oppressed, and we need to share this gospel to them. Share this love to them. That's what we need to do. As church, as the lighthouse of God, that's the message that we bear to those people. That's what we need to do. It's not like we need to go to other people and just fellowship and just be happy with ourselves. It is time for us to go and do something because silence is betrayal. And silence is what is remembered in the end. So, what can we do? What can we do? Proclaim the freedom to the captives, those who are enslaved. We need, we need to introduce Savior to them. That's the work that we need to do. And I want to share this quote with you at the, uh, in, in, in closing. Uh, and found in Second Selective Message, page 342, paragraph 4. And it's a little longer, so it's, it's in two pages, but I'll read this. It says, Whoever of the humanity family give themselves to Christ, whoever hear the truth and obey it, become children of one family, the ignorant and the wise, the rich and the poor, the heathen and the slave, white or black. Jesus paid the purchase money for their souls. If they believe on him, he cleanses, his cleansing blood is applied to them. 
The black man's name is written on in the book of life beside the white man's. All are one in Christ. Birth, station, nationality, or color cannot elevate or degrade men. The character makes the man. If a red man, American Indian, or Chinese, or an African gives his heart to God in obedience and faith, Jesus loves him nonetheless for his color. He calls him his well-beloved brother. So here, Ellen White says that when she went to heaven and she saw in the book of life, she saw a white man's name written next to the black man's name, to the Asian man's name, to the Latino's name, to the slave man, to the rich man, to the educated man, to the man and woman, young and rich and old, everyone in one book as one family. So when we go to heaven, our names are next to each other. Who do you think your neighbor will be? Do you think there will be a section for only the rich and, and uh, privileged and people who are less educated, people who speak different languages, they live in different comp- compartments, different sections? You have, you have uh, uh, districts like that? No. If we cannot get along here on earth today, then we have a long way to go to practice living up in heaven. If we think we are comfortable living by ourselves in our own cliques and hating others, discriminating others, then heaven is really far away from where we are. Because heaven, there is nothing. There is no boundaries. So what are we doing? What can we do? How can we do to get along here now? As Christians, as someone who is saying, I bear the name of Jesus in my character, what can we do? We have to bear the gospel. We have to preach the gospel. We have to live the gospel, meaning we have to go and reach out to the people who are affected today, people who are, who are discriminated, people who are, who are unjustly treated. We need to do something. So I don't want to be just someone who is just saying this. This is something that we can do, yes. But we, as a church, we got to do something. And, and we can't really meet together and, and reach out and do like soup kitchen or, or go and knock on door to door. We can't do that as of yet. But we need to start making plans of what we can do when we start opening up. And we need to maybe see what we can do now to at least reach out to the community in our church, in our church family, to see if there's anyone affected and see what we can do. So we'll try to do what we can do as a church community, to reach out within first, and then to reach out after. So, in going back, we need to let justice run like water and righteousness like a mighty stream. That is the goal. That's what you just said. Let justice run like water and let righteousness like a mighty stream, like the scripture reading today. For us to do that, we need to get rid of what? And to get rid of sin in our heart. Because sin is what caused that. When we have sin in our heart, when we are holding on to sin in our lives, then it takes only one second to start discriminating, to start hating. 
like we have seen in the story of Adam and Cain. That's what happens. So if we have, if we cherish sin in our hearts, that's something that we need to get rid of first. That's something that we need to pray to God to come and take that away from our hearts so that we can start loving, start caring, and start accepting as we should as Christians. And as you just said, he came to proclaim the message to the poor, to the afflicted. The people that we need to go first are the people that we, we, who are affected right now, who are brokenhearted, who are hated right now, or who are in poor condition in situations. And if we think everything is okay, it is not, because silence really is not the answer. So how many of you want to ask God to take away the sin from our heart so we can truly see the hatred in the heart and the image that God, God has given us is taken away and Satan is distorting this image and he's just crushing this image of God in us to be something really ugly. We cannot truly see ourselves unless God helps us and takes this sin away from our heart. So let's pray. How many of you want to pray that God can take away the sin from our heart and then we can truly see who we are? And how many of us want to do what Jesus is challenging us to do, to carry out this message to the world, to the poor and to the afflicted? And let us pray so that God will help us to go and reach out to the poor so that justice in our church can run like water and the righteousness can flow like mighty stream. Until that time comes, may God help us to take away sin from our heart and to preach the gospel, to share the gospel to the afflicted. Let us pray. Our Father God in heaven, Lord, what are we doing here on earth? When we look around, we see injustice. We see this ugliness around us. And Lord, we just learned that sin is the cause of all this. And it doesn't take thousands of years for this to happen. It only takes just a moment, just a few hours, just a few years for this to happen when sin enters this world. But Lord, how many times do we cherish this sin? We have a secret sin in our heart, and we don't want to let go of it, Lord. And when that happens, this happens. Discrimination, segregation, hatred happens, Lord. Lord, please help us to hate sin. Help us to please see how ugly this sin is. Help us to pray to God to please take away the sin from our heart so you can give us the created, new, renewed heart in us, a new image that you can create in us so that we can reflect your character in us. Lord, please give us that so that we could be more like you. Please help us to carry this gospel and message to the poor, to the afflicted, to the broken heart. Help us not to stop until we carry that message to the afflicted, Lord. Please give us a new heart. Please change us, Lord. Please be with the ones who are afflicted today. Please comfort them. Give them peace and give us love in our heart. This is my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise team, please come on up.